0: For International Pride Day, I'm honored to introduce you to my dear friend, Nicolette Mason, an advocate for inclusivity, a designer, and a content creator at NicoletteMason.com. Today, Nicola and I talk about how we can be more loving and inclusive to those specifically in the LGBTQ community, how to use inclusive language, how to make people in this community feel safe, and how it all really boils down to loving your neighbor. We'll have all the resources Nicolette mentions in our show notes at mentera.com slash podcast where you can educate yourself more and find support groups for LGBTQ people and their family and friends. Okay, you guys, today is such a special episode and I am so excited to have my dear friend Nicolette Mason on. Say hi, Nicolette. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, this is such a treat. And we've been trying for so long to make this happen. But I think it's perfect that it's happening during Pride Month. And this is actually going to go live on International Pride Day.
1: Yay! So
0: it's just, I think it was very much meant to be. Nicolette is someone who I admire so much. She's disrupted a lot of um, the fashion industry with just creating more inclusivity. Did I say that right? Inclusivity. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> With plus size and she's a designer. She's a content creator. She's an influencer. I admire her so much. So I'm going to let her tell us what she's up to.
1: Yeah. So I started blogging in 2008. So definitely at the beginning of the wave of blogging, it was not monetizable then. It was not something I thought would become part of my career. It was just something I did to kind of have like a a scrapbook online of things that inspired me. I was working as a brand strategist and designer at the time in New York City. And it kind of became its own thing and and snowballed into a lot of opportunities in fashion publishing and media where my focus really became on advocating for size diversity and diversity inclusion as a whole and for me that means inclusivity across the gender spectrum the sexuality spectrum advocating for people with disabilities and really making sure that fashion and media reflects our real world and the diversity that exists in our real world. So that's always been really, really important to me. And Corinne, when I met you, when we were going to Rwanda with Kate Spade, mm-hmm. and I just felt like a, a really instant light heart and soul connection with you. And I think that we both come from a place of really wanting to advocate for the commonalities that we share with people rather than emphasizing on the differences. And, you know, we have such different backgrounds, but I think that our hearts are very much in the same place of like wanting people to feel included and loved and understood and welcomed. And, um, you know, that's, I'm really grateful that that has become part of my career and, you know, something I continue to strive for every day.
0: Yeah, you've done such a beautiful job of that and I've, and I feel like I've learned so much from you just not only being friends with you on a personal level but even just following your content. I feel like you're always posting things on like your Insta stories and um that help me understand the world as a whole in just such a really beautiful and positive frame, but also you talk about the hard things too and I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I
1: worry sometimes that it's like confronting for some people, but I think that's important too, to kind of be reminded, like, you know, there are some really horrible things happening in our world that we, we all need to pay attention to sometimes.
0: Yeah. And be yeah. aware of. Yeah. So we, we met, like Nicola mentioned on a trip to Rwanda and we got to see just some really, really incredible things with the women down there working in a factory called ADC. And that really was such a bonding trip. And I learned so much too from Nicolette about your so you grow up, so let's talk a little bit about mm-hmm. like your family background and yeah. all of that. Yeah, so my family,
1: I grew up in Los Angeles, California, like right in the heart of the city, and I am a first generation American. So the majority of my family, my mom's side of my family emigrated from Iran and came to Los Angeles as refugees during the Islamic Revolution in Iran. My family is Jewish. In 1979, there was a huge political uprising and revolution in Iran that did make it pretty unsafe for religious minorities to stay there. So much of my family moved over in 79, 1980 to Los Angeles. My mom actually was in London for university, and that's where she met my dad. And the two of them moved to Los Angeles in the mid 80s. But I grew up here in LA in a Jewish community, went to a Jewish high school, uh, well, preschool on through high school (laughs) my whole life. And I was like very much in this kind of like bubble of middle to upper class Jewish people of which like the extent of the diversity was the Persian community. So it was kind of an interesting thing because obviously LA is really diverse, but the community that I grew up in was not.
0: I think that just sets a really interesting background for, you know, what you grew up with. And Mm -hmm. so let's just jump right into it. So Nicolette Mm -hmm. identifies as? I identify as I'm lesbian definitely identify
1: as Jewish. I also am plus size. So all of those are kind of like parts of my identity and, you know, the way I perceive the world and also the way I'm like treated by the world. So lots of layers there.
0: (laughs) So I, I found this really interesting when I found out that you were a lesbian, this really touched me that when we were presenting to a group of Rwandan women, you said, is it okay for me to bring that up? What's um, and not is it okay, but like mm-hmm. in what, how can I do that respectfully? And I just really admired that, that you had the sensitivity to ask, like, how can I do this in a way that will be respectful yeah. and that this culture will understand? And so that really stood out to me. But actually, the way that I even know to ask you, how do you identify was from a conversation we had mm-hmm. over one of our lunches at um like in between shows at new york Mm -hmm, fashion mm -hmm. week where we sat down and flushed out a whole bunch of these things so and i had to ask you how do you ask someone like what are you i know that's not the right way to say it and you said you know it's important to say how do you identify and why is that important
1: so i think what's important is to not make assumptions about people. And, and I think even that instance in Rwanda, the way that came up was because the women were really curious about whether we were married. That was the thing they really wanted to know about us. They wanted to know if we had kids, if we were married. And I was like, how do I talk about this? Like, is it okay to talk about? Is there an understanding of different identities and different types of living, different sexuality, et cetera? And so that's how that came up. And and I I just think that it's really important especially the way the world is shifting the way our understanding of gender of sexuality of identity in general is changing is to not assume that the entire world lives the same way and for so long the default has kind of been that everyone is straight is living in the the gender and identifying with the gender that they were assigned at birth that Everyone wants to get married. And there's kind of, you know, this set of of rules in a way that had been prescribed to us about what we are all meant to aspire to. And I think that's changed a lot. I think that, you know, there are no rules anymore and that we are living in a time where there is increasing acceptance and, and inclusion of people finding their individual path, whatever that may be. And so the reason I think it's important to ask people how they identify is so that we're making it clear from the beginning that we're not making assumptions about people that when someone looks at me, I might quote unquote, like look straight and pass in the, in the world as a straight woman. And so every day I am having little moments of coming out because people will meet me and say like, Oh, do you have a boyfriend? Like, are, do, what does your husband do? I'm like, well, uh, you know, and like every day I'm kind of like weighing out in different moments, like, is it okay for me to come out now? Is this safe? And part of the thing that will give me pause or hesitation is that assumption that I am straight and would be in a relationship with a man. So I so think you that you still
0: have places where you you're not sure if it's safe, like where you oh my gosh, personally ev- feel safe every day. And really. Yeah.
1: And and it's less so of an issue when I'm in LA or New York. Like that's where I live the majority of my life. Mm-hmm. But I do travel a lot too. And there are places where I cannot walk down the street holding my partner's hand either because we don't want to invite that attention in certain places that are more conservative or less accepting, or where, you know, there's also places where it's literally illegal to mm. to be gay. And that's something that I'm very conscious of. So d- definitely it's something that nearly every day, even getting into a back of an Uber, there, I do not take safety for granted, or, you know, dismiss like precautions that I could take to make myself feel more safe. Okay. So yeah, that is, that's definitely still part of my life. That's I think that's really interesting to too. Hear.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I look at you and I think you're so confident. You're mm-hmm. so like, you know, firm in who you are. It, it surprises me to hear that you, that there are many instances where you don't feel safe about, about yeah. identifying that way. I mean,
1: it's, it's really unfortunate, but I think it is also, there has been definitely a rise in like gender based attacks and, and LGBTQ hate crimes over the Mm. last few years. I think that is, is it is linked in a lot of ways to the political climate right now. But even in London, a few weeks ago, There were two women who were a couple um, who were on the bus in the middle of central London, and they were attacked by a group of teenage boys. And what they said had happened in that moment was that the boys were asking them to kiss each other, basically like perform for them, for their entertainment. And they refused. And this group of teenage boys ended up physically assaulting the couple and, and we're also in a time right now where you know, this year there have been 10 transgender women of color who have been murdered. And this month alone, in Pride Month, there have been five murders of transgender women of color. So And that's all here in the United States. A couple of them were in New York City. So we're definitely not in a place where all LGBTQ people are safe. And I, I just think that's so important to talk about because it starts with loving each other, knowing each other, having an understanding that we are all humans who, you know, similar outcomes and desires and hopes in our lives to live great lives and to find love and family and community. You know, it goes back to like, we have more in common than we do in different. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's really, I I mean, and I want to address that, that that's really terrible. And I feel like no, and this is the beautiful thing I think about our friendship. Like, even if you don't agree with someone's lifestyle, even if mm-hmm. there are certain things that they do, I mean, e- like on a on an even more basic level, like yeah. I choose not to drink, but I don't hate people who drink, right? You know, <laughs> like it's never okay to hate people or to of hurt course. people or to harm yeah. anyone who just is living life different than you are, right? So. So let's take, it, take this in the angle of how does it look when someone makes you feel safe? Like how, mm-hmm. how does that look in an ideal world where an Uber driver or a person mm-hmm. you meet when you're traveling talks to you for the first time and is feeling that out and getting to know you?
1: Yeah, I think, I think the language piece of it is really important. I also think tone is really important. The types of questions that people ask or people might say things that will signal to me like, okay, this is not a safe place for me or a safe person for me. Uh, Asking more kind of generalized questions, I think is a good place to start. I think it's, so case by case and situation by situation, but things like if you are curious, if someone is married or if they have a boyfriend or girlfriend or something using the word partner instead, mm. or, um, just, are you in a relationship? Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's funny. Cause it's like so simple. I think using uh, gender inclusive language is really simple and a big, shift that people can make. So rather than using specific pronouns, using the singular they, so rather than he, her, you can say they, them. Things like that are, to me, little signals of more inclusive language and an approach that honors inclusivity.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's really helpful. Do you feel like we've gotten better as far as like when you look at your childhood or Mm -hmm. adolescence versus now, Mm -hmm. where do you feel like some of that, like, what do you, do you have anything you can share with us? Like from earlier that was
1: definitely, I think it's, it's funny because it took a long time for me to realize that I was gay only because I didn't really have the language around it. But what I did have, and that I'm really grateful for were kind of people in my life who I knew were different. And even as a really young child, one of my dad's best friends was a contractor who he worked with, whose name was Kay. And she was butch lesbian. I didn't have those words there, but you know, mm. she drove a truck and she had this yellow lab named Blue, who I adored her dog. And I was just like fascinated and enamored by her because I hadn't seen a lot of other women who presented in this way who were more masculine who had short hair who were contractors (laughs) and it's it's funny now because like that's such a stereotype of a certain type of lesbian but it was really impactful for me to see someone who I perceived as like really living in her own truth and really embracing her individuality And especially like the community that I grew up in, in LA, that gender roles and gender norms are, are very much enforced. And, um, you know, women are expected to be very feminine. Like that, that was such a inspiring thing for me to see because I was like, Oh, people can be different. They can be, Mm -hmm. they can dress how they want. And that was really cool. And I remember I don't know how my dad phrased it, but I remember him telling me like, oh, Kay is different and she's our friend and we love her. And when my parents moved here, because my dad worked in like the design and architecture world, a lot of his friends and colleagues who he worked with were gay men who were designers or interior designers and architects. And so that was very much part of my world growing up. But I definitely didn't see a lot of media representation. I didn't see a lot of feminine lesbians, which I think was like part of my confusion. It's like, well, okay, if I feel this way, like, but I don't want to look like that. Like, where do I fit in? Mm
0: -hmm. And I think... Because you are very like girly and all things pink. I'm
1: (laughs) so girly. Yeah, I... You know, I love makeup, like all of the stereotypical, quote unquote, girly and feminine things, like I really love and embrace. And I think that's also why I'm in this position of like having to come out all the time, because people do look at me and automatically assume like I am a certain way. And yeah, so I do think that media has shifted tremendously to be really, really representative. I think pop music has changed a lot. Where we do see, especially like younger Gen Z artists who are coming up right now are talking about gender and sexuality in really different ways than I grew up with. So that's exciting. And I think social media has also changed a lot because there's just so many different entry points for education and understanding. And like I mentioned earlier, like having vocabulary, like vocabulary and tools for language and communication have become so much more easily accessible so that's a really, really exciting thing. Like you or I could Google like, oh, what does pansexual mean? Like what does, what are, what are LGBTQ terms and terminology? And it's so easy to find them now. And I do encourage like anyone to do that if, if they're not familiar with the LGBTQ community and want to learn more. Like there's definitely a lot of tools and resources out there online and on social media And that's really, really exciting because I do think we're getting to a place where at the very minimum, people can know that they're not alone.
0: And that's That's so important. It's
1: so, it's so important to know that you're not alone, whatever it is you're going through, someone else has been through it. I think that is such a big key to mental health also, which I'm a huge advocate for mental health and wellness, Mm -hmm. but that is a a big, big piece of it for me is just to know that you are not alone. And the rest, like we all figure out on our journey, but as a starting place, that's so important to me.
0: So what's one of the things that you're most proud of that you feel like you've helped? Mm. um, You've done so many things to help build (laughs) inclusivity, but what are some of the things that you're most proud of?
1: So a couple of years ago, uh, one of my best friends, Gabby Greg, and I started a clothing line called Prem. It's a plus size clothing line. So we do sizes 12 to 30, which is inclusive of extended plus sizes. That was a really, really big moment for us because we've both been working in the plus size industry for over a decade mm-hmm. each. And to have this brand come to fruition that you know, it was really a culmination of all of the different work that we've done as influencers, as editors. I was also an editor at Marie Claire magazine for five years where I had a plus size column.
0: The, I love a, the story of how that happened too. Oh yeah. That was a funny one. <laughs> it's so amazing. So basically you called them out for being yeah. super negative in yeah. their plus size column. I know and then, yeah, that's exactly what happened. So
1: I I wrote a blog post and I tweeted about how like, and there was this point where they had published an article about Mike and Molly, which is um, the show that Melissa McCarthy was in. And it was about how like disgusting it was that, you know, we'd have to see two fat people kissing and in a relationship on TV. And it was a really, really horrible and fat phobic and just mean article that was posted. And at the time they also had a plus size column in the magazine that was about fashion, but it wasn't inspiring. Like the clothes were really boring. It was kind of just like, here's something in your size, go figure it out yourself.
0: Yeah. Just really frumpy. Yeah.
1: And so I wrote a blog post about that. I was like, oh, like not only are they writing this, you know, horrible, fat phobic piece about Mike and Molly, but also like they're doing such a disservice to their plus size readers through this fashion column. And I got an email from an editor there and they were like, hey, we really like your point of view. We'd love for you to come in for a meeting. We'd like to talk to you about something. And I was like, oh no, they're gonna have a lawyer there. I'm gonna have to take my blog down. I'm gonna be sued by Hearst publications. <laughs> and I was honestly like freaking out. I'm also like 23 years old at the time. So, you know, I was I was young and trying to figure things out and had just kind of decided I wanted to pursue fashion media in general. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and they brought me in, they're like, so how do you feel about taking over this column? Because you have a really, really refreshing point of view. And I was just like, are you serious? Is this happening? Like, I, I was- I scared. love this story so much.
0: It's so incredible.
1: <laughs> and it, I think that's kind of like the perfect um, example of how I've lived my entire life. <laughs> because, yeah. Because I, I, so much of my career has been about not, calling things out. Like, I don't, I don't like call out culture. I think that's actually, it can be really problematic, but just like identifying and being open and vocal about things that I care about and not being afraid to share my point of view.
0: Right. And standing up for what you believe is right. Yeah,
1: I think especially when it comes to standing up for marginalized people, like, I think that is that is a human rights issue at a certain point. And whether we're talking about people with disabilities or, you know, gender variant people, transgender people, LGBTQ people, plus size people, people whose rights have been infringed upon in some capacity, it's really important for me to advocate on their behalf. I just, I don't think that, you know, any of the most marginalized people amongst our society should have to stand alone to fight for their rights and yeah, you know, I think a lot of that is informed by faith and by like my understanding of religion and growing up but there's a phrase in Jewish culture called tikkun olam which means healing the world and uh, mm. that it's all of our responsibilities to make the world a better place than it was when we got here. And so that's like very much part of how I try to guide myself through the world is how can we make the world better and safer for everyone.
0: That's beautiful. I love that.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's such a universal thing too. And, uh, you know, it's, it's hard because we are living in a really strange political climate right now. Um, but I think when we strip everything else away, like that is something that most people do share is wanting yes. to make the world a better and safer place and maybe we all have different approaches to how we get mm-hmm. there but for me like being able to advocate for people is a really really big piece of it
0: who have no idea what this is like to be an LGBTQ person, Mm -hmm. um, what do you wish they understood more?
1: I think that things to understand that we're not in a place of everyone being safe and accepted, for sure. I would start there. I'd also just, maybe even before that, start in a place of wanting to know each other, not fearing the unknown. Safety isn't a given. That a lot of people in the community have been excluded from their families or from their communities based on nothing other than being who they are. That is a really, really painful thing for me to confront. And I'm really lucky my family is super affirming and inclusive and accepting. Even my grandparents are. And I'm so, so grateful for that. But so many of my peers and friends have been completely removed and disowned from their families. It's based literally only on who they love or how they identify. And that is so heartbreaking to me and so unfair to me. So I think even realizing that not everyone has family is a really important piece. I also think that it would be... for me to not talk about gender-based and sexuality-based discrimination. And that's something that, you know, in many states up until very recently, you could be fired from a job for being gay or being transgender. Now there is a law being passed to actually make it possible for um, people who are offering housing to deny housing to people based on their gender and being transgender. There's also in a few states laws being passed for doctors to refuse medical treatment to people in the LGBTQ community. And these are actual real life and death situations, you know, that a patient could go into a hospital with a severe urgent ailment and be refused treatment or told, go find another hospital.
0: That's hard to imagine, but it's important to know that it's True. It's it's true and it's happening.
1: And you know, this is so far beyond someone not quote unquote agreeing in or believing in a, again like quote unquote lifestyle. This is really denying someone like basic human rights yes. and fair treatment. So those I, I think are kind of like big pieces that get lost a lot and and that are like really, really crucial in this day and age to understand is that like there's real discrimination happening. And then on a a more like personal and individual level, we touched a little bit about on mental health earlier, but I think part of the reason that I am such an advocate for that, and you and I have talked about this, we both have personal connections to this, is the issue of suicide.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And you know, I've lost several friends to suicide and one one of the big factors for LGBTQ people, especially, and one of the things that increases the rate of suicidality in LGBTQ people is familial rejection yeah. and affirmation. And I know that we see that in a lot of communities. I, I think it's also really prevalent in the community that you grew up in, amongst yeah, people. and that that. All it would take is for a, a parent or a family to say, we love you no matter what, yep. um, Is I really do believe that that's all it would take to save many lives, um, is really re- enforcing and reminding people that they're loved unconditionally.
0: Right. And on that note, too, you know, Neil and I talked about, first of all, how I was so excited that this Mm -hmm. finally came together for us to have this conversation and um, how just deeply needed it is for someone like you who is um, an advocate and and someone who really has the right to represent Mm -hmm. people in your community to speak out about this and we talked about, you know, yes, we're doing all these things to raise our children in the faith that we have, mm-hmm. and but really, it's going to be, first of all, it will be ultimately up to them whether that's something that they feel aligned with or not as they get older. Mm-hmm. Um, it's even now; it's never forced upon them. It's always like, "This is what mom and dad believe," and but at the same time, Neil and I talked about how important it would be to us if if our children if any of our children came out to us that they you know were gay or lesbian or mm-hmm. or anything that ultimately the most important thing to us would be for them to know without any doubt mm-hmm. any even sliver of a doubt mm-hmm. that mom and dad love you no matter what yes and i mean i would just it would be the most heartbreaking thing to me if mike kids felt like if my mom or dad knew this about me, then like, I'd rather die than have them know. Like, I just can't even Mm -hmm. comprehend that. I can, I can understand the shame that someone might feel of, Mm -hmm. I'm not what my parents expect me to be. So I hope that we can foster the love and acceptance in our family that our kids know that no matter what they choose, we will always love them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: I, I, I
1: agree. I think it's just, it's so, so important and, and truly lifesaving. And, um, you know, beyond that, like, I, I, I also know that that will be the case for you. I know that how much you love your, your children and how important they are to you and, and you have such a loving heart.
0: Well, but so I, I think just even for that. people who do love their kids, they just, and, and I think we've gotten so much better now, Yes, but you know, a generation or especially two or three ago, mm-hmm. you know, people just didn't have the awareness that they have now. And so I think yeah. that is where some of these like deeply ingrained, like, this is how the world is, this is what totally. it is, black and white, mm-hmm. like. And, and I think that's what created that shame of people feeling like, oh my gosh, I'm not what my parents expect me to be. Totally, totally. And, and, I,
1: and I think there's also a lot of fear and I, I want to give credit to a lot of parents too who, you know, even my parents, like as many gay friends as they have and as accepting as they are of the LGBTQ community, I think when I came out to them, they were, they came from this place of fear, like, oh my gosh, her life is going to be harder. And mm-hmm. it's, it definitely has been like, that's a fact. <laughs> my life has been harder because I'm openly gay. I have lost jobs because I was openly gay. I had one of my, the first brands who reached out to me, who was this luxury brand in Italy. They were like, we really, really love you and want to work with you, but you're too openly gay and you talk about it. And that does not align with our customer. Wow. And, and by the way, like, I don't talk about being gay all the time. (laughs) Right. It's It's not like you're on a soapbox every day. No, 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 not at all. It's just a part of who I am that I have been open about. So that was shocking to me. And that was very early in my career. And I was like, oh gosh, like I, yeah, I'm going to lose opportunities to some of my peers who I might be more qualified than because I've said I was a lesbian. And, you know, other than that, like, yes, my life has been harder. Like I have lost so many friends to to suicide. I mm. have seen some very, very painful things in the community. Even, you know, like when I want to take a trip with my girlfriend, I have to think like, oh, is this somewhere that we could be put? in jail, if we're holding hands, like those are things I have to think about. (laughs) So, and and also like, I have an enormous amount of privilege. I want to state that too. Like I am very, very fortunate in the way that I operate in the world, but for sure, for a lot of parents, I think there is this fear that their child is going to live a harder life. But I know I really, I'm not a parent, but I really believe that like the, fastest way to alleviate some of that pain and some of that hardship and difficulty is to just love your child and make sure that they know that they're loved and that they're accepted. And also that they can safely share parts of who they are and safely explore parts of who they are. I think a lot of people do navigate confusion early and they're coming out because of that shame and because, you know, we are taught that we're all supposed to live a certain way. So I think even having places that are safe to ask questions uh, without fear of rejection or humiliation are really, really important.
0: Okay. One really important thing that I wanted to ask you is what should people not say? What do you, what do you never say? Um, What are you? Definitely
1: something you should never say. I think if you're confused about a person's gender, don't say he, she, or, or it, or things that are really derogatory. There's certain words that we don't use anymore. I don't, I don't even feel comfortable like saying them. Oh, out no. um,
0: I just <laughs> mean like, I mean like exactly what you just barely said. Yeah. What are you? I mean, I knew that was wrong, but I didn't know how to make it right when I asked you that question the first time.
1: Yeah. So I think, how do you identify is a great way to approach it. Pronouns, I would defer to like the singular they, so they, them, if you're unsure. It's also totally okay to ask people what their pronouns are and how they would like to be referred to. Even just starting with like, what's your name? A lot of, a lot of people have chosen their names. So that's a very humanizing way to approach things. The word transgenders with an S at the end is a hard no, for sure. It should be used as an adjective. So transgender people, transgender men, women, individuals, same with like the gays or the queers, like things like that. Mm -hmm. It, It kind of like sounds funny saying it now, but when those words are used as pejoratives and as ways to make people feel small,
0: yeah. That's not cool.
1: Yeah. No, it's just not cool. It's, yeah. you know, I think as a, a, a basic starting place, we should just treat everyone with
0: respect and courtesy and kindness. Well, and I want to, yes. And I <laughs> want to ask you too about specifically the word queer. I know we, I asked you yeah. this um, in a private setting, but I said, I feel like the word queer is a little bit like the like a black person can say the N word, but like no one else can. And I feel like that a little bit with the word queer, but I feel like, but I hear you saying that and I hear other people in your community saying that. So clarify that word for me. I think that if
1: you just said it perfectly, like if it feels uncomfortable for you to say, just don't say it. But you know, if I'm saying I identify as a queer person, it would be perfectly fine for you to say Nicolette identifies as queer or Nicolette is queer but it wouldn't be okay to say like she's a queer you know so like that tiny turn of phrase makes a big difference and there are certainly people who use queer as an insult so that comes back to what I was saying earlier about tone and inflection it is really important. So I would just pay attention to how people refer to themselves and ask them, is this okay? Is this how you would like to be identified
0: and, and not presume and not make assumptions about that? And, I, and going back to the beginning of the interview, I do think that's so important that you just don't assume mm-hmm. something about anyone. So that's so good. Okay. What do you feel like? What's your greatest hope for people progressing and people being more inclusive and loving?
1: My greatest hope, there are, there are so many.
0: <laughs> My greatest hope, honestly,
1: is that we create a world where people can safely and authentically be themselves without fear of harm, discrimination, without fear of being disowned. Uh, that is. On a very fundamental level, I think that would be a great place for us to get to everywhere else. I, I have hopes for the world, but just to make sure that everyone can be themselves and be loved in that. It would solve so many of the world's problems. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it just comes back to this basic tenet of wanting to love one another the way that we want to be loved and cared for. And I think that is achievable. I hope that it's achievable.
0: That's so true. And I love the way you said that because I feel like, you know, for for my faith, which is so important to me, Mm -hmm. ironically, the greatest commandments are to love God and love your neighbor. Mm -hmm. And if you love God, you're loving your neighbor. And so that like, Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we miss the mark with people in not just Christianity, but any type of faith mm-hmm. where sometimes we get confused with like the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And like, yes. what is the point of all of this is to love others. It's exactly. really like exactly. our most important thing.
1: Yeah, so. exactly. and And that shouldn't be something that is defined by the color of someone's skin or who they love or what country they happen to be born in. <laughs> Like I, I, and I think that's something that all faiths have in common too, is that we all are taught to love one another. And I, I think like that is a great, great, great place for us to just remind ourselves to come back to. And it just, it's, it's so important to me that we all are able to connect on this deeper level. And, you know, other than the kind of surface level things that set us all apart at times to connect on what makes us human and what are the common values that we all share. And I think it's a lot of it is love and understanding and kindness.
0: (laughs) Gosh, I love that so much. So if there's one thing that people remember from all of this amazing advice and educating Mm -hmm. that you've done for us today, what's your message that you want to leave?
1: love each other, and reach out. It's a big one. Reach out to someone who maybe you didn't extend kindness to in the past, who maybe you haven't understood in the past. Reach out and let them know that you want to understand, you want to love them, and remind them that they're not alone. They don't have to walk through their journey by themselves. That would make me really happy. Even if one person who listening, who's listening reached out to someone from their life or their past, I would love to hear about that if it happens. <laughs> that, yeah. that would make me really, really tremendously happy.
0: Okay. I love that so much. And I <laughs> can't even tell you how much I appreciate this, value this. This was even... Better, I knew it was going to be amazing, but even better than I could have hoped for. So, where can people find you if they're inspired by what you've shared today and they want to continue to be educated and um, understand this and just follow you as a creator and Mm -hmm. influencer? So I am
1: at Nicolette Mason on almost every platform. My blog is also nicolettemason.com. Yeah, every social media platform is Nicolette Mason. And then I do also want to share a couple of resources. Yes, please. The Trevor Project is a great resource. GLAAD is a great resource for especially parents of LGBTQ people. There's an organization called Affirmation, which is... For LGBTQ Mormons, families, and friends, um, and they're Salt Lake City based. And Google is our all of our best friends. <laughs> so there's a lot of information out there for anyone who wants to become a better ally or to understand the LGBTQ community. Um, because you know we all have a lot to learn from each other, and a, and a lot of love to give one another. So,
0: yeah so awesome thank you so much again nicolette for the time and thank for you you've shared with us
1: thank you so much
0: thanks so much for listening to mint arrow messages make sure you follow us on instagram at mint arrow subscribe to our apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us and to get show notes go to mintarrowcom slash podcast and you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox and we'll email you every time there's a new episode